Good morning. We are in the process of beginning, still beginning a new season, and this Sunday we're beginning a new series. The series is entitled Mentored and Mentoring, and over the next three Sundays we are going to look at this all-important aspect of mentorship uh, within our human relationships and within the church. And so would you bow with me as we enter God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your wonderful plan. Thank you, Father, that you didn't leave us in our sin, but that you made a way for us to come back to you. We thank you, Lord, this morning as well, that you are continuing to make a way for those of us, Lord, in this, uh, not only here in our own community, but around the world, who are looking for you, searching for you, and we know that you are seeking and searching for us in return. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to provide a way for people to come to you. We pray, Lord, that this church would continue to be a place that would draw people to yourself and that you would use us to do that. We pray, Lord, for the many needs in this community. And we pray, Lord, for those who are far from you, that you would bring them to yourself. We pray, Lord, for each of the church congregations within this uh, within this community, Lord, that you would provide for each one of their specific needs. We pray, Lord, for uh, our various uh, sister congregations, Lord, as they are transitioning, some of them, in leadership. We pray specifically, Lord, for the Calvary Baptist Church, that you would provide for them in leadership in the new pastoral position, and we ask for discernment on their behalf. We thank you, Lord, for each congregation that we can work together with in furthering your kingdom in this town. We pray your blessing. Father, we also want to intercede for our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are enduring severe persecution. We think of those in Iraq and in Syria. We pray, Lord, that you would intercede and that you would be the defender of those who are weak. And we pray, Lord, that we would not forget them, but that we would daily lift them up in prayer to you. We pray as well, Lord, for those in Africa who are suffering under disease and the widespread uh, nature of it, Lord, as it increases to spread, we pray, Lord, that you would again intercede and that you would make your strength and your power known there. We ask for, your, for you to provide healing, Lord, and to provide a way through this. We pray now, Lord, for our time together here, that you would bless your word. Open our hearts to receive it. We ask that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding, Lord, into how this applies to each one of us. Give us ears to hear, Lord, and feet to put it into practice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jethro and Moses, Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, Naomi and Ruth, Eli and Samuel, David and Solomon, Mordecai and Esther, Elizabeth and Mary, Jesus and his disciples, Barnabas and Paul, Paul and Timothy. What do all of these names and all of these relationships have in common? They all involve Mentoring. They all involve an older, more mature person coming alongside and mentoring a younger, less mature person in their life, providing them guidance. Now, the term mentor in the dictionary is defined as a wise and trusted counselor. I want you to remember that definition. A mentor is a wise and trusted counselor. Okay, has everyone got that? Yes? We're good? We can keep going? Let's try it one more time. Let's say it, say it with me. A mentor is a wise and trusted counselor. Okay, we need to remember that. This is very important because I'm going to be using the term mentor in its intended definition this morning. 
So when you hear the word mentor, remember we are talking about a wise and trusted counselor. So in practical terms, a mentorship happens anytime someone wiser or more mature comes alongside a younger, less mature person and gives them counsel. Counsel in the form of advice, guidance, correction, or encouragement. A mentor is also someone whose very life and word sets an example for someone younger and less mature to model themselves after. That they can look at this person and say, you know what? There's a good template for me to live my life after. That even though this person's not perfect, just the manner in which they live, the principles that are guiding them is something that I can sort of fix my compass on and I can follow their example. The Apostle Paul throughout the New Testament had a great deal to say on the subject of mentorship, even though he never uses the exact word. Writing to Titus, a young pastor that Paul himself had trained and mentored, he says to Titus in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 of the same book, he says to him, Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. So here's a young man, Titus, who Paul has mentored, and now he's instructing Titus to mentor other young men and set an example for them to follow. The story is told of how one weekend, three teenage boys decided to take a bicycle trip out into the countryside. Now, they weren't overly experienced long-distance bikers, but they decided that they were going to take a good long jaunt, and so they head out that day and do a 40-mile loop in three and a half hours. Well, they thought that was pretty good, and they congratulated themselves on their good time. The next day, they decide to do the same loop again, and as they prepared to head back out, they were met by an older friend, a competitive cyclist, who had just completed the 40-mile trip earlier that morning and was now ready to head back out and do it one more time. The three friends meet him, invite him to join their group, and so they set out together with their older friend, of course, setting the pace. Well, immediately, the three friends realized that they were in for it today. They were going to have to work. Work like they'd never worked the previous day. Because even though their older friend had already made that trip once before in that same day, his pace was considerably faster than what the younger cyclists had done the previous day. But, of course, being young men, they were game for the challenge. And besides, no one wanted to be the guy left behind, right? So they're just giving her to keep up with their friend. And so, as they go along with their older friend, pacing them, spurring them on, come on guys, can't you keep up with me? I already did this once today. They kept up with them. And they did that 40-mile trip in two and a half hours. A full hour faster than they had done just a day before. A simple story, but it illustrates for us a very important lesson. In the exact same way, younger Christians need the pacing and the spurring on of older, more mature believers as they begin the journey through life following after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because you see, without that mentoring influence, their growth may be slowed or even hindered from ever reaching their full maturity or potential in Christ. They may just think that that three and a half hour time, this is is good, we never have to go faster than this, not realizing that they had more in them and that it had to be drawn out by a mentor, someone who could spur them on, set an example for them to say, hey, you're doing good, but you can do more. Watch my example. And this is why mentorship is so fundamentally important 
to the growth of not only each one of us as individuals, but also to the life of a congregation. Interestingly enough, the Bible never actually uses the exact term mentor, but it gives us numerous examples of it happening in practice. In Exodus chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me this morning. It's the same passage that was read for us earlier this morning. And to give you a little bit of context on it, Exodus chapter 18, and in verse 13, we find Moses in the process of just burning himself out and nearing exhaustion from spending morning till evening, attempting to single-handedly deal with every single dispute in the entire nation. Now, to give you a little bit of perspective on that, estimates say that there would have been hundreds, if not clo- hundreds of thousands, if not close to even a million people, if not more, depending on estimates. No one has a concrete number on how many people there were. But we're talking about a massive group of people that Moses is single-handedly trying to settle every dispute, make every finding on. You know, uh, this guy's, uh, he says that this cow is in with his cows, but I know it's my cow because it's got those spots on the side. Moses, can you settle the dispute for us? Right? This is the kind of stuff that Moses was dealing with, you know? From, from major disputes to the most petty and trivial, Moses was doing it all, and it was running himself ragged. Can you imagine? Dawn till dusk, his head, and they didn't have Advil back then. His head must have been ready to explode. And so here, this is the context we see. His father-in-law, Jethro, comes to the encampment, he talks with Moses, finds out the whole backstory of what God had done with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, leading the people out of Egypt, parting the Red Sea, bringing them across, and Jethro is blown away, and he says, it is good. This is incredible what God has done. And he comes and gives an offering to the Lord. And in a sense, he pledges his allegiance to the one true God of heaven, and he even declares as much that your God is the true God. And so now, having made this pledge to Moses, God is the true God, Jethro sees what Moses is doing, and we're going to pick up the story here in chapter 18 and verse 17. Moses' father-in-law says to Moses, What you are doing is not good. You and all of these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and the laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand up under the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. And Moses listened to his father-in-law's instructions and did everything that he said. He chose capable men from all of Israel and made them leaders over the people. Here in this story, we, there's, there's a numerous, there are numerous lessons that we could learn from this story, but the principle that I want to draw out for your attention today is we see here a prime example of what a mentor looks like. Now, Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. 
Now, there's all sorts of in-law jokes, right? You know, about in-laws giving unsolicited advice. You know, in some circumstances, a father-in-law giving his son-in-law unsolicited advice might not have gone, gone over so well. But here we see Jethro, an elder to Moses, who has a considerable amount of life experience to share with him, specifically in the area of leadership. In verse 1 of chapter 18, we learn that Jethro is the priest of Midian. Now, this is signifying that he is in a significant position of leadership within the Midianite people. And considering the fact that a priest was almost always appointed for life, this was a lifetime appointment, this wasn't just something that he did for a couple of years, this would have been something that he had been groomed for and then was doing his entire life. Also taking into account Jethro's advanced age, and we can safely assume that when Jethro sees Moses about to burn himself out, he has a lesson that he has learned from experience that he's probably gone down the same road before. He sees all the classic warning signs. And so he sees Moses and he recognizes the danger and he's going to do something about it. This is a perfect biblical picture of what a mentoring relationship can look like. First, we have Jethro, the wise and trusted counselor, the mentor. And he sees a young, enthusiastic, energetic Moses who is in need of guidance. And so first, Jethro sees what Moses is doing, recognizes the danger, not only to Moses, but also to all the people. If he doesn't learn to share the burden of leadership with others, the people are going to get frustrated because they're waiting around for Moses all day. Secondly, Jethro cares enough to take the time to go out of his way to help Moses. You see, Jethro could have done anything else than what he did. He could have just stayed at an arm's length, He could have stayed at a distance and said, it's not worth the hassle. Let him learn his lessons the hard way, like I did. Right? He could have said that. Or he could have been afraid of offending his son-in-law. And for the sake of, you know, keeping the peace in the family and not rocking the boat, he could have just bit his tongue and just not said a word. But he didn't. Instead, he cared enough to go out of his way to give this advice to Moses. And by doing that, he provided a great service to Moses and the entire people. And this is what a mentor does. A mentor graciously comes alongside someone to give them sound counsel and sound advice. But I want you to take note of something as well. Jethro gives his advice within the context of an already established relationship. He doesn't just swoop in out of the blue having had no prior contact, and said to Moses, you know what, you're a terrible leader. Look at my example. I'll tell you how to lead, and here's how you do it, and then just leave. Imagine if Jethro had taken that approach. How well do you think that would have gone over? Right? It would have gone over like a lead balloon. Have you ever had someone just swoop out of the blue who had no prior relationship with you and gave you some pretty pointed advice? Advice? (laughs) You ever had that happen to you? How did you take that? Mm, Who are they to come and start telling me what to do and how to do it? What do they know? Right? But Jethro doesn't do that. He is already in a good relationship with Moses, as we see from the prior chapter. And so from within the context of this relationship, he comes alongside Moses, not in an overbearing way, not saying, hey, look what you're all doing wrong. Um, look Look how I could have been doing this in a better way. He just comes alongside, says, here's some advice for you. 
See if you can see if you can use it. And this is really important when we come alongside someone. Now, because of this, and because of the mutual respect that we see that Moses and Jethro have for each other, Moses doesn't reject what Jethro says to him. Instead, instead he receives it. He receives it well. And the very next verse says he does everything that Jethro told him to do. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says this, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. See, a fool thinks that, hey, my way is great. Who are you to tell me a different way could be better? But no, a wise man says, hey, there's some advice here that I could learn from. And Moses says that, I'm going to listen to this advice. Proverbs 19, verse 20, much the same, says, Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. You see, because Moses listened to Jethro's advice, accepted his instruction, not only was a great deal of Moses' time and energy freed up, thereby protecting himself from burnout, not only were the people better served as a result of not having to wait around all day for Moses to settle their affairs, But Moses grew in wisdom as well. He grew in wisdom, making him a better man and leader for the future. And the people needed him. They needed to have a leader who had the energy to lead them and the wisdom to know when to accept accept advice. But now we see that the mentorship does not end with Jethro and Moses. In fact, it sets into motion a chain reaction of mentorships that continued to influence the entire nation of Israel for generations. Because you see, because Jethro received, pardon me, because Moses received Jethro's advice, he in turn began selecting God-fearing men with leadership potential, and he begins to mentor them to become leaders in their own right. Them leading leaders over 10, 50, 100, 1,000, he sets them incrementally into leadership positions based on their, on their age, probably, their skills, their abilities. But he grooms them, and he begins training them for leadership. And so the mentorship grows exponentially. We also know that from amongst those leaders, one young leader in particular, whose name you might recognize, became eventually not only Moses' right-hand man, but succeeded him in the leadership of the entire nation. That young man... Of course, you know his name, Joshua. Joshua became the right hand to Moses all because of this chain of mentorship that was set into motion. All of this because of the positive influence of one man, Jethro, who was willing to see a young man in need of mentorship, in need of guidance, and went out of his way to give it. But now I want you to consider the alternative to this story this morning. What would have happened if Jethro hadn't gone out of his way? What would have happened if Jethro had just bit his tongue and not talked to Moses? What then? Well, we don't know exactly what would have happened because we can't know history as as it would have unfolded. But one thing we can safely assume, had Jethro not said anything to Moses, the outcome would not have been good. It would have been to the detriment of Moses and the entire nation as a whole. The exact same thing holds true for each one of us. As we seek to live the Christian life, we are all better off for having a mentor, a wise and trusted counselor, someone who comes alongside us to help guide us, to encourage us, to help us in the way we should go. But the opposite also holds true. We are worse off for not having one. 
The Christian term that we are most familiar with related to this subject is discipleship. The term comes primarily from Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28, where he says to his disciples, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Unfortunately, we have largely understood that to mean, Go and make converts of all nations. Essentially, this means get people to accept Jesus, get them through the doorway of faith, get them saved, and then move on and let them figure out the rest for themselves. A man named Dawson Trotman, some of you may recognize that name, Dawson Trotman was the founder of a Christian ministry called The Navigators. The Navigators is an organization that has become primarily known for its intentional discipleship model. But it wasn't always that way in the beginning. The change happened like this. Dawson Trotman shares the story of how one day early in his ministry, Dawson was driving along and he saw a young man walking down the street on his way to caddy at the local golf course. Dawson often picked up hitchhikers because he enjoyed the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. The hitchhiker on this day, as he was getting into the car, bumped his head and he swore. Then, as he proceeded to shove his golf clubs in the back seat, he took the Lord's name in vain, just as Dawson was handing him a gospel tract outlining the plan of salvation. Well, the man had a little bit of a sheepish look on his face. He glanced down at the track, then back up at Dawson and said, Say, haven't I seen you somewhere before? And Dawson looked at the young man closely. As it turned out, the two men had met previously a year earlier under the exact same circumstances. Dawson had seen him on the side of the road, picked him up, told him about Jesus, even led him in a prayer to accept Christ as his Savior, and then he had sped on his merry way, confident that another soul had entered the kingdom. But now, here he is a year later, and there was no more evidence in this young man's life of a new birth, of of any change whatsoever, as if he had ever heard the gospel in the first place. And Dawson later said that after this experience... After meeting this young man the second time on the way to the golf course, I began to go back and find some of my other converts. And I want to tell you that what I found made me sick at heart. Motivated by this experience, Dawson began working on follow-up and developing ways of mentoring those whom he had been leading to Christ. He says, Before I had forgotten to follow up on the people God had reached through me. But from then on, I began to spend my time helping them. You can lead a soul to Christ in anywhere from 20 minutes to a couple of hours, but it takes from 20 weeks to a couple of years to get them on the road to maturity. You see, what we so easily forget is the rest of Jesus' instruction to the disciples in Matthew 28. The conclusion of the Great Commission says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. The teaching component, the mentoring component, that's where the real work happens. And that teaching component doesn't just happen here from the pulpit or downstairs in a Bible study. It happens in one-on-one relationships. A relationship where a mature Christian intentionally seeks to listen to, encourage, offer advice, and set a positive example for a younger Christian to follow. But once again, when those one-on-one mentoring relationships are lacking or missing altogether, the result is a lot of baby Christians walking around. Now, in life, we all start out as babies, right? But thankfully, we don't stay babies. And I'm counting on that as a parent. Right? We don't stay babies. We grow up. It's the the natural course of things. And if we don't grow up, if we stay the same, then something is terribly wrong. But now, what happens 
is that there are those people who have been Christians for a good long while, long enough that they should have grown up, but they haven't. They're still babies. And the Apostle Paul told the the church in Corinth, why are you still drinking milk when by now you should be eating meat? You should be long past the infant stage, but you're not. And these baby Christians, they may look all grown up, they may talk like they're all grown up, but spiritually speaking, they're still in diapers, or maybe in pull-ups. Can you tell what stage of life I'm at? (laughs) You know, these are the lessons that God is teaching me right now, and I think he's using the joys of potty training, our son right now. I believe he's using this to teach me perseverance and patience and a whole lot of other things that I still have yet to learn. And the funniest thing is, Declan keeps telling me, every time he keeps telling me, Daddy, I'm a big boy. And I keep saying right back to him, big boys don't need diapers. They go on the potty every single time. (laughs) Right? These are fundamental things we learn. But you know what? A lot of Christians are walking around telling themselves and God the exact same thing. I'm a big boy. I'm a big girl. I'm all grown up. And God's saying in return, no, 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 no. You've got a lot of growing to do. And why does this happen? I believe one of the main causes of people remaining baby Christians is because they have never been properly discipled or mentored. So what a baby or a young Christian needs is the exact same thing that my boys need. Someone older and more mature to patiently and lovingly walk alongside them. Someone to set them an example that they can aspire to and follow. And then as they grow, they in turn begin to mentor others, setting into motion a chain reaction. People being mentored, growing in Christ, and then in turn mentoring others so that they too will grow in Christ and mentor others. Are you getting the picture? Mentored and mentoring. This is the chain that God has set into motion for us. One of the great things, one of the things I love about this church family, this congregation, is that in a wide variety of ways, we can look back over our church's history and say, this is a place where mentoring has always happened. It really is. That's one of the great things about this family. Because I am a product of the mentoring that has happened within this church. Because I have been mentored here, and I know that many of you have been mentored here as well. You are the products of those who have gone before you, who cared enough about you to go out of their way to speak into your life, to take the time to develop a relationship with you, to just show in a multitude of different, maybe small ways that they cared enough about you so that when the time came that they could say something really important, you received it, and it made a significant difference in your life and the path that you took. I love the fact that this has always happened here in this church family. And as with Jethro, Moses, and Joshua, we can look back to the very beginnings of this congregation in the fall of 1960. And I love hearing the stories of how from one generation to the next, there have been mentors passing along their faith, their passion for the Lord, and the lessons, sometimes the hard lessons, that they had to learn along the way, but that we can benefit from hearing them. I'm a recipient of those lessons I know a lot of you are as well. And so the simple fact is this. Everyone is stronger and wiser and better off for having had a mentor in their life. I know I am. And chances are, you are as well. So let me ask you today, who has been a mentor in your life? Can you think back, maybe even currently, who do you view as a mentor in your life? 
Or as you look back to your earlier years, who mentored you? Who went out of their way to give you some advice, a word of encouragement that made a difference? Who comes to mind for you? I'm tremendously blessed. I am probably the most privileged person because I have several people who come to mind, not just one. First, my parents. I think many of us would say the same thing, that we owe a debt of gratitude to our parents. I know I do, because they taught me right from wrong. They introduced me to the Bible. They were the first ones to tell me about God's love, Jesus' sacrifice, and the way of salvation. Then I think of my Grandpa Greening. Grandpa Greening was a man who, more than in his words that he spoke to me, was an example. He was a man who modeled for me what genuine faith looked like. He was a man whose prayer life was an example to all of us as a family. He was a man whose prayers sounded more like intimate conversations with a dear friend. And I believe that those prayers still shape and affect me today. Then there was Irvin Bueller. Irvin Bueller was my youth leader for many years, who was one of the first people to see the leadership potential in me. He was one of the first ones who called me out and said, you have the ability to teach and to lead. And he encouraged me, and then he also gave me the opportunity to do it within our youth group. He was one of the ones who spurred me on. And then finally, there was Peter Harms. And I cannot adequately convey to you the weight of influence that man had on my life. I cannot convey to you in proper words what it meant to me and still means to me today that he saw something in me that was worth going out of his way to invest time in, to speak words of wisdom into from his wealth of experience, and above all of that, to encourage me that I could do it. Because you have no idea the self-doubt that goes into a position like this to say, could I really do that? Could I really lead a, a church? Could I really teach and preach and do those things? And, and you have so much self-doubt, and he was one of the first people to consistently come alongside and say, you can, because God will help you. Keep your eyes fixed on God, and he will take care of the rest. Just trust him, and if he's called you to lead, he will help you to lead. And in various different ways, he encouraged me with that. And I just cannot tell you how many times over the years since he's been gone, the moments when I have felt discouraged or wondered if I can really do this job, that I remember what Mr. Harms told me shortly before his death. When in my office, he sat there and he looked at me, and he said, I'm at peace to go now because I know that the church is in good hands. I still feel the influence of that statement in my life today. That is the tremendous influence of a mentor. That is the power that a mentor has when they speak into someone's life. And today, I want to encourage you that as you have thought about the key mentors that you have had in your past, I want you to just... Make a mental check mark right now. If you have a piece of paper, I want you to grab a pen. Write their name down. Write their names if there's more than one. I want you to, to be specific about this. Don't just let this pass by. Think of these people who you know you look back. Maybe it was a, maybe it was a coach way back in Little League or, or hockey summer. Maybe it was a teacher in school, a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, a pastor, a, a parent, just a friend of the family who you looked up to as a mentor. Write their name down, and I want to challenge you this week. Find a way to thank them. 
pick up the phone, maybe get old-fashioned and write a letter, and just thank them. Tell them that you were a mentor in my life. What you did that day made a difference to me, and I want to acknowledge that, and I want to thank you for what you did in my life. I want to challenge you to do that this week. And you know what? If that person who you're thinking of right now has already gone on to glory, I want you to take a couple extra minutes this week in your prayer time to just thank God for that person. Thank God for bringing that person into your life. And then as a sidebar to that, I want you to make it your personal assignment to go out of your way to tell someone else in your life about your mentor. Tell them the lessons that they showed you. And by doing that, you're going to pass that along to them as well. This is the chain reaction that God wants to set into motion in our church family. Mentored and mentoring. And I hope that this morning as we conclude, I hope that you are just getting a little bit more of a sense of how incredibly important mentors are. If you have been mentored and you know what a difference that made in your life, then think about how you could potentially be a mentor to someone else. And that's where we're going to go next week. We're going to take a closer look at how we can be more intentional in developing those mentoring relationships in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who is intricately concerned with each one of our lives to such an extent, Lord, that you bring people into our lives to shape and to influence us. You bring those trusted counselors, those mentors alongside, Lord, to sometimes bring a word of correction, a word of just advice, a word of encouragement that you can do this. You can do this. I believe in you. Oh, Lord, what a difference those people make. And we give you thanks for them today. We thank you, Lord, for all of those dear saints who have gone on before us, who have already passed on into your presence. And we thank you, God, that we stand in good company here today. We stand on their shoulders. And I pray, Lord, that as we recognize standing on their shoulders, that we would in turn be willing to let others stand on ours. That we would be mentors. That we would receive mentoring, but also give mentoring. And I pray, Lord, that this church family would continue to grow in this. That this church, we would grow, Lord, as disciples of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for each one who's here this morning. Bless them, Lord, as they go into this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.